Welcome to the How I Money segment of the podcast, Rethinking How You Money 101. Hi, I am your host, Dom, and I will be interviewing people in this series about how their experiences with money have impacted who they are today. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Dr. Peter Browse, a professor of finance at Seattle U. Peter Browse earned a PhD in finance from the University of Oregon in 1989. Before joining Seattle University in 1992, he was an assistant professor for four years at Pennsylvania State University. He has published many articles in the top finance and accounting journals, including the Journal of Finance, Journal of Financial Economics, Journal of Financial and Quantitative Analysis, and the Journal of Accounting Research. Additionally, Dr. Browse has published several pedagogical research papers in the Journal of Financial Education. He has won both teaching and research awards at Seattle University. He has taught on-site finance courses at Costco Wholesale Corporation, Washington Mutual, and Real Network Inc. He has served as an expert witness in over 30 cases based on his expertise in valuing employee stock options or business valuation. Additional areas of expertise include corporate performance measures, capital budgeting, corporate financing decisions, and real option analysis. And I am excited to introduce him to you guys today on the podcast. Here is Dr. Browse. Hi, I'm Dr. Browse. I'm a finance professor at Seattle University, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to Dominique about um, financing and how you can think about your future. How would you describe your family's ways of handling finances while you were growing up? Huh. So I got to experience my, uh, my father and my stepmother uh, fight over finances most of my life. My dad was a real saver and my stepmom was a real spender, somewhat stereotypical. It was a, almost a daily battle between them about saving money and spending money. Uh, so that, that definitely uh, was influential for me. Do you feel like their relationship with money has affected how you handle your own money today? If so, uh, in what ways? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, definitely. As I said, it was very influential. Uh, you know, it made me uh, never want to fight over money. Um, so it, it made me want to not put money as a real high priority in my life. Uh, you know, it's kind of ironic being a finance professor, but uh, certainly in terms of my personal life, you know, I, I didn't want money to be an issue and I didn't want it to be something that I was fighting with somebody over my whole life about whether we should be spending or not spending money. It, it probably made me more of a saver, I guess, also. Yeah, that makes sense. Number three is at this time of your life, what are your streams of income? Pretty much my salary at Seattle University would be my uh, main and only real stream, steady stream of income. And then number four is, how would you describe your money habits today? Are you saving at all, investing, etc.? Well, um, you know, I'm in what we call, what I call stage three of life. So first stage was pre-children. Second stage was with children. And now I'm in the third stage where my children are grown up out of the house and, and independent on their own. So you know, the first two stages, there was not a whole lot of saving going on. Um, actually, that's not true. During the second stage, there was some savings. But at this point, yes, at this point, life has, has gotten to the point where we have less expenditures and, you know, the income just kind of, it, as a professor, your income doesn't grow a lot, but it steadily grows. And so at this point, we are saving some money. You know, we've saved all, every year I started working through uh, a 401k. And so it's a, that's something that I do, you know, I think is really important is to get into the habit of saving money regularly on a regular basis, really as early as possible, because um, it helps over time to be saving money in the beginning. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a saver, as I said, and I, I think that's good for us all. Do you have any side hustles or have you had any side huh. hustles in the past? I'd like to describe my poker playing as the side hustle, but I'm not <laughs> 
So I guess it, it probably doesn't qualify. I do uh, a bit of uh, expert witnessing on the side. I, I've gained some expertise in business valuation and compensation damages. And so uh, I have uh, done a bunch of work for lawyers and different legal matters. And so that's been a little bit of uh, my side money. You know, my first case uh, was, I think, in 1996. And it was an, a Microsoft employee who got fired, was suing Microsoft for damages, and he had a bunch of stock options. Most people who were doing this type of business at the time didn't really understand how to deal with the damages associated with the stock options. And so that's how I got involved. And so I did a bunch of cases, uh, unlawful termination type cases like that. Uh, but then I've also done a bunch of cases where, you know, one individual does something bad to a company, the company is suing them for destroying the value or part of the value of the company, or somebody kind of steals a company from somebody. And so the question is, what was the damages there? So business valuation is another area uh, where I've done a bunch of uh, expert witnessing too. Does that count as like freelance work for you? That's right. Uh, you're getting hired basically by the lawyers. You know, I've, for some reason, I've always been hired by plaintiffs. So the ones that are, you know, suing for damages. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's been a word of mouth type of business where, um, you know, after that first case and getting to know some lawyer, then it, they, they talk to other lawyers. And then when they know they need somebody in this area, occasionally they'll call. But yeah, it's, it's a great side business. Uh, it's been fun, educational. I like to debate things, you know, I mean, part of it being a New Yorker, part of it being a finance professor, debating is, is part of what we do. And, and so these legal matters are, are, are of that nature. But for me, that's kind of a comfortable arena to be in. So, Is there anything in your life that you choose to splurge on? If so, what huh. and why? I would splurge um, on travel, certainly travel and, and sports related travel. I've done some helicopter skiing. That was a bit of a splurge. I like to sail a lot and sailing is expensive. That's spurging. Um, I play golf a lot. So I do have expensive habits, I guess. So things I like to, uh, my hobbies are somewhat expensive. I kayak a lot. And so, but so I splurge on there. Um, my wife's a fantastic cook, but she also likes to eat out a lot. So we do tend to spend money on food occasionally. I would say those are probably the big splurges. And then the opposite of that question, is there anything that you wish you would like to cut back on for your spending habits? If so, huh. what why? Uh, food, yeah, food, ice cream, anything that makes <laughs> me overweight. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, um, you know, my, we, we're, my, fortunately, I married a, a woman who is even more tighter than I am, or frugal. I think that's the word she wanted me to use. So I have had the, the fortunate experience of not having to, you know, to be that one to to make those tough choices because she's always one making those tough choices. So that's been a real pleasure for me. When the kids wanted something, they came to me when, when most of the time they had to go through their brother and that was not happening. So, you know, we, we as I said all along, we, we, we are a bit of savers and we don't spend a lot of money on um, things that we don't think are important. What would be your ideal income and why? Yeah, this is kind of, to me, this is a bit of a silly question. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure why one not say, you know, uh, there are trade-offs in my mind. So to get higher income, you have to make sacrifices. So, you know, if you ask me how much, what's the optimal income if I don't have to make any sacrifices, well, then the more the merrier. But the reality is, is, you know, to make more income, you have to uh, either work hard or save hard or, or maybe have some luck, but mostly, you know, work hard. You know, I think balance is really important. So I certainly have not chosen a profession to maximize my income. You know, being a professor is a fantastic income. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about my salary one bit, but certainly it was a decision not based on trying to maximize my income over my life, but find us doing and something that had steady income or that I didn't have to worry about, you know, getting fired or company going out of business or, or something like that. You know, that has been a, a big focus, I guess, too. 
Thank you. That's actually really insightful because I feel like a lot of young people don't necessarily think about that all the time. Like they just automatically yeah. like big income will just make them happy. Or well, sometimes the problem is the other side is that, you know, uh, you want to enjoy life so much and live in the moment so much. And, and I get that too, you know. And so, you know, if you're living in the life too, you know, so much for the moment, then you're not really planning for the future and, you know, working towards the income. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I think it's finding the happy medium, you know, finding a, a career or a, a profession that, you know, uh, you, you're comfortable with in terms of the workload and, and the pay. I mean, you know, obviously there has to be a reasonable compensation to make you get up in the morning and unless you just truly love what you do. I mean, I'm pretty fortunate in that sense. I, I really do enjoy my job and you know, people ask me when am I going to retire? And I, I was, why would I retire? You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty good gig I have right now. So, but yeah, finding that balance is, is key. What about finance interests you enough to earn a PhD in the subject? Well, um, you know, I think finance, you know, I think uh, unlike mo- most people might think is much more of a art than a science. It's uh, most things in finance are very debatable. They're, it's a relatively new field. There's lots of things that haven't been figured out. It's an area where, you know, I've been studying finance literally for over 40 years now, and there's still a lot I don't know. So, and I mean, that's fantastic, right? So you can, you can work, study something for that long and keep learning new things. And um, as I said, you know, I, I like to debate things and finance, almost everything in finance is debatable and there's pros and cons. And I think that's just the way people, this is probably the main reason. I'm ingrained to believe that people make decisions by looking at costs and benefits, pros and cons. And that's basically what the finance field is built on. And financial modeling is all about, you know, estimating costs and benefits and trying to do some type of analysis of determining which one's greater. And I think that is truly how people make decisions, you know, all sorts of decisions, not just And again, I'm not talking about financial costs and benefits. I'm talking about all sorts of qualitative costs and benefits. But, you know, that's how we make decisions. And I think finance is built around that simple economic model. It's got a lot of numbers, which I'm good at, but it also is not like accounting where you're just memorizing a bunch of rules and following procedures. It's all about the future and the future is uncertain. And that's what makes it exciting. How does younger Dr. Rouse and the version of you today differ most in a financial perspective? Well, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I now get to be, as I, I kind of was explaining before, I get now get to be the big spender because I have a, a wife that's uh, very frugal. So where I used to be kind of cheap, I've kind of learned, and this I've learned from my wife too, about spending money on people. Um, you know, I used to be kind of um, uh, much more tight about my money in terms of, you know, buying somebody a lunch or buying somebody a beer. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't bad, but I've learned over of, from her uh, spending money on other people and doing nice things for other people is uh, is really a great uh, opportunity if you can do that. You know, so I've learned to be better, I'd say, at, at giving. You know, she's kind of helped me get there, I think. So that's a big difference, I guess. When I was younger, I was much more self-centered, you know, focused on my own needs. And now I'm, I'm a little more willing to be uh, open to other people's needs. It's interesting to hear about that, just coming from like a young person. Um I don't know. It, it's not something that we always think about, you know, because a lot of us are pretty frugal at this age where we're trying to like save money. We don't think about I guess, sharing that wealth as well as we should. Well, uh, you know, it's an investment. You know, that's the way I would look at spending money on, on on my daughters or my friends or, you know, whenever you can do something nice. I mean, it, it's 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 an investment into something that's probably more important than the money. And that is the friendship or the relationships, you know. And, um, and as I said, I was not that way when I was you know, your age or when I was younger, that took some time and some, some well, well guidance, strong guidance. 
What financial steps do you believe are a must for young people who are looking to begin their financial planning? Yeah, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. I think it's just, you know, saving, you know, start saving as soon as possible. Even if it's a little bit, it's, it's amazing how it builds up. So, you know, um, you want to kind of, you know, try to uh, minimize your expenses uh, to extent, but, you know, you have to enjoy life. I mean, but um, if you can, you know, get into a regular savings, it's best situation. I've been fortunate because I never, it comes right out of my paycheck. So my, uh, because I work for the university, I put a certain part of my paycheck away and the university actually matches that. So that's a wonderful situation, but that money comes out of my paycheck before I ever see it. And that's ideal because then I don't have to make the decision every two weeks when I get a paycheck about how much money I'm going to save, it's taken out before I ever see it. And so, so that's great. You know, someone like my father was a general contractor and kind of self-employed. He had to be much more disciplined and he had to kind of save his money uh, on his own and, and, you know, take money out of his saving, out of his, you know, checking account and put it someplace where he could not spend it. That takes real discipline. And so that's, you know, I think that's ultimately the problem today is, is that more jobs, more young people are working in the the gig economy or, you know, the, the economy has changed a lot from when, when I was your age to or uh, the way it is now. And so, you know, if you're in a job like I am at a university and so you have a, a retirement account or I have a daughter who works for a small company, but they have a, a you know, a 401k plan, you know, that's great. But if you're on your own and you're not working for a company that's uh, preparing that for you, then you got to do it on your own. And that's that's hard, but that's important. And, um, you know, you know, ultimately, you want to get it to about 10 or 15% of your income, I think is ideal. But if you're younger, or just starting out, you know, even if you can do 2% or 5% is great. And then you can kind of slowly try to build it up over time when you feel more comfortable. If a student wanted to start their own business, what would you recommend are the first few steps for that? financial. Well, um, you know, the the first thing is, is making sure uh, your product is something that you're quite comfortable as having some type of advantage or improvement over other people's products. So it's very difficult to be in business to sell something that everybody else can sell just as and make just as cheaply and as good a quality as you can make. You really want to kind of um, take advantage of or uh, utilize some type of special skill that you have. The, the problem is, is, you know, for most businesses, you might have some special skill like pottery or, you know, you're a good builder. Uh, this is my dad's example. He was very good at building things, but he wasn't a good business person. And so, you know, if I was if I had the talent and some special skill, then I probably want to make sure that I teamed up with somebody that was very good in money and finances and in the, the, the nitty gritty. And if I was good at the, the numbers, then I try to find somebody that was more of a sales figure or someone who can go out and kind of promote. So, you know, being good at business first starts off with having a good product. That's what drives the game. If you got a good product, then you're likely to be successful. If you have a bad product, you know, there's not much you can do no matter how good a business person you are, they're not likely to be successful. That's to start off with. And then once you have a good product, you know, then you have to be able to to manage the company in an efficient way. And business is tough. Being in your own business is not something, you know, as a finance professor, you know, it's something I think about a lot. Gee, what would it be like, A, to work in a business, but B, even more exciting to to own your own business. And um, me personally, there's a lot of stress there. There's a lot of uh, sleepless nights. Uh, And again, I think you really have to be super focused on success. I'm a little bit more laid back in my drive to be successful. It would be too stressful for me, I think. You know, being in business by yourself, starting up your own company, it's great if it works because you have all the freedom you want, but there's lots of stress. Business is doggy dog. You know, if you have some success, somebody will try to come in and steal it. It's, it's tough. 
It gives you a lot of uh, freedom to come and go when you want. Gives you freedom to work on what you want to work on and when you want to work. You know that I, I highly respect that aspect of being a business person, running your own small business. That's very true. I guess the last one I have for you would be: What resources do you recommend students view to better their financial learning? Yeah, uh, this this was a tough question for me, ironically, you know, because I could think of a lot of you know corporate finance books, but those are certainly not something that we're talking about. Uh, I think you actually uh, we we were talking a little bit earlier on before we started taping, and you had a great answer, and I asked you how you learned about finance, and you were talking about podcasts and different online sources, and I think that's exactly what you need to do. There's there's plenty of information. I guess you know the key is finding good information. You know there's lots of information about personal finance, insurance, and all sorts of things that are really uh, important to learn about. Once you start, you know, saving money and uh, thinking about what you want to do with your savings and what's the best way to to protect your money. You know, we live in a pretty uncertain time. I, you know, I really do feel a little bit. You know, I have two. As I mentioned, I have two daughters in their twenties, both out out on their own, and it, there's a lot of uncertainty out there in the world, and it's kind of uh, intimidating and, and scary. And so, you know, I think as much as you can learn is, is is great. And I think there are lots of online sources. And I don't have a perfect gem there. Oh, I guess what I would suggest is talking to people. Uh, talking to uh, older people, people who have had some experiences in personal finance and some success stories and some failures. You can learn, you can learn as much about people's failures as you can successes. You know, one of the lessons is there's a lot of transaction costs. And so buying and selling houses, buying and selling cars, moving around, uh, all these things cost a lot of money. Some stability there may be good long-term financial planning too. The last one is just a fun question. So it doesn't have to be necessarily related to finances. So if the world was frozen for 30 seconds, just to listen to you, what would you say? I would focus a lot of my attention on uh, not on money and on people and relationships. I think, uh, you know, money can't buy you love is a pretty true statement. You know, I, I think it's good to have money not be an issue or a problem in your life. And I think getting, a, getting a, a, at to that level is very important in terms of happiness is, but once you can get to a certain point where money's not really a problem, uh, then it, it frees you up to really enjoy life and spend time building relationships, uh, family and friends. You know, I have friends literally for 35, 40 years and uh, friends, you know, from every place I've lived, I still have good old friends. And, and those are the really what, what makes me excited and happy. And then relationships with family members. And so, again, I would be focusing my time and effort on building those relationships and, and doing as much as you can to, 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 to support other people and their needs. Thank you so much. That was all the questions I have for you today. No, you've been fantastic, Dominique. I really appreciate the questions and uh, I'm glad I got to meet you. Hey, it's Dom again. I just want to say thank you for listening to my podcast. Again, to reiterate, this is a series that I'm trying to make. It's called How I Money. It's a segment on this podcast, Rethinking How You Money 101, where I am trying to find people to interview. It honestly can be anyone and talk about their experiences with money and how that has impacted who they are today. If you know anyone that is interested in being interviewed for my podcast, send me an email at rethinkinghowyoumoney101 at gmail.com. Okay, thanks for tuning in and remember to always be smart with your money. See you guys next time.